Hey there. Welcome to the show. We got a great show planned for you today. I'm very, very excited about having a new section at the end of the show. That's right. You can be featured here as a professional realtor and I'm going to interview you. You come on into the studio and it's going to be an exciting time. You have to talk about maybe a new listing, talk about what makes you unique and part of your area that you work. So uh, really excited about this new section. And the only way that you can partake in this is you got to follow me, first of all, on Instagram, the simple investor one. And then from there, make sure you DM us and tell us that you want to be part of the show. And uh, once a month, I'm going to have a featured realtor join me, uh, a professional, somebody that's got some experience. And so today, uh, our first appearance uh, on this section is going to be done by Bryn Lackey. And Bryn, uh, of course, is a panelist here, but she's also a realtor with Chestnut Park. And so she's going to be joining me uh, a little bit later in the hour. Also, I'm going to have her on for a few sections. We're going to talk about what's going on in the world of real estate as we try to do here every single week. And so really, really excited about this new part of the show and looking forward to, you know, start bringing on some uh, people from different marketplaces. And again, all you have to do is, you know, travel here to our, our Simple Company uh, headquarters and the Simple Podcast booth, and I'll do the interview myself with you and we will have a great chat. So lots to uh, talk about and unfold when we're doing that. And again, as I mentioned, a lot going on in the world of real estate. And of course, people are listening to the naysayers out there saying, what do you mean the market's starting to take off? Of course it is. How long do you think everybody could keep their hands in their pockets? So got a lot to talk about uh, what's going on in the market. And as most of you know, you know, I come, I like to come a little unglued with my real estate rant. And there's uh, two things that I want to talk about uh, this week. First and foremost is the fact that uh, people are talking a lot about the commercial property puzzle that's out there. And what I mean by that is, you know, a lot of the commercial real estate out there is owned by the REITs, right? Real Estate Investment Trusts and the publicly traded stuff. You know, when people are talking about values, a lot of people are saying, wait a minute, that stuff's gone down in value. But a lot of these companies are saying, no, it hasn't. It's still worth it what it's worth. So where is the conundrum when we talk about commercial real estate? You know, a lot of people aren't going back to work. Big fight going on with that. I'm pretty sure we all saw that coming out of, uh, you know, some of the Fed employees saying, no, we want to be able to work from home. People don't want to go back into the office. These are going to be issues that we're going to be contending with for years to come. You know, people have gotten into that point where they don't feel it's necessary to be face to face. So what do we do with all this real estate? Because in Toronto, there's a boatload of it. Of course, in most major cities, there is. And, you know, in areas like Calgary, for example, there's almost 40% vacancy. So what do we do with all this real estate? Well, you know, I've made this suggestion for years now and saying, look, why don't you convert it to residential? But here's my problem is they don't want to do it. You know, we don't want to see, you know, all of a sudden residential down in a commercial district. And my question is, why not? Why is the government so hell bent in not allowing this? Is it the taxation? You got it. That's one of the things I think for sure, because commercial real estate has a higher tax rate. They call it a mill rate, but the tax rate is higher for commercial real estate than it is residential. So what are the chances are that maybe, you know, there's stuff in their hands in their pocket saying, look, we're not going to have enough money to do it. Infrastructure's in place. You know, when you take a look at some of these buildings, I can tell you, um, you know, from a contract uh, contractor's perspective, uh, pretty easy to convert this stuff. It's not as difficult as most people would think. And you could start answering some of this housing dilemma fairly quickly. So, you know, we've got an election coming up and, you know, a couple of the candidates throwing out there that, 
you know, hey, listen, we're going to build, you know, 25,000 affordable housing. Okay, and we're going to use government land. Okay, so here's my question. How much is that going to cost taxpayers? Well, you know what? I decided to whip out a note and take a look at it. And sure enough, um, if your typical privateer does it, so in other words, you know, some of the big building companies that we have here, um, they could probably do it for, call it seven and a half, maybe nine billion dollars. What if we use government employees? How long is that going to take? Well, you know what? For some reason, I have a gut feeling that it's going to be double the price, twice as long. And so any politician right now, and I don't care what level of polit politics you're in, any politician trying to weigh in to the housing dilemma, don't, okay? Make promises you can keep somewhere else. You know, give a tax break somewhere, great. You know, help us out with, you know, any kind of, you know, I don't know, uh, call it transportation tax. You know, how about take a look at gas prices if, if it's in your power to do so. But playing with housing right now and having any conversation about building and money, you know what? You're way off base. And for the person that wants to turn around and actually take on the commercial properties and actually say, hey, there is an answer. It's already in place. We could actually make something happen. I'll tell you, you'll look like a hero a lot quicker than anybody else will. And that's one of the things is that stop talking about it and start doing. And that's the one thing that I haven't seen a politician do. Yeah, I got it. Provincial government said, look, we're going to open up the red tape. We're still not seeing any massive increase in construction, even though this uh, announcement was made months ago. So you know what? Somebody's got to do something, if not just stop talking about it altogether. Hey, I might even stop talking about it here on the show if we could just stop getting these empty commitments by politicians trying to be elected or reelected. So the other thing I want to talk about um, just quickly on my rant is the fact that I'm struggling with the whole landlord-tenant fiasco that's going on. And, you know, as, as I had talked last week, I'd mentioned that, you know what, there's no room for bad landlords. Agreed. It shouldn't happen. Um, and there's no room for bad tenants. You know, pay your rent. Simple as that. But the, the there's a bit of a conundrum happening right now. So I don't know if everybody knows that in the fall of 2018, if there was brand new construction, so call it condominiums, for example, if you had brand new construction and it closed in the fall of 2018, there is no rent control on those properties. And right now, when people move into these units, and let's say it was, you know, built, it closed in 2019, 2020, there is no rent control on that. So if a, if a landlord comes to you and let's say you're paying $2,000 a month rent and a landlord comes to you and says, listen, um, my costs have gone up, this has gone up and that's gone up and they give you the proper notice. Remember, you've got to have minimum 90 days notice. But if you get proper notice and they say, listen, your rent's going up by $350, you can't go running to any ad advocacy. You can't go running to the LTB saying they can't do it. It was clear. The provincial government mandated that they wanted more properties brought to the market for rental. They looked at the new construction and said, okay, we're going to allow people to increase the rents, you know, and, and there was no bar, uh, benchmark put on it. So if somebody's pay, spending, you know, $2,000 a month rent, the landlord comes back with proper notice given to the, to the tenant in the right amount of time, and they say, well, we want $350 more per month, they can do it, okay? You're not going to win the argument. Yes, I get it. It's really hard because that's a big number and it's hard for people to absorb, but this might work to the narrative is that next time a tenant goes to rent a property, maybe you would ask when it was built. Okay. So if it was built in 2015, 
then you know that there's rent control on it. If it was built in 2020 and it's, you know, park place or boardwalk, it's where you want, you know, it's nice and shiny, then you've got to make that decision. Are you going to be able to live with your landlord if they decided to move up the rent more? And how about an open conversation to the landlord to saying, listen, by the way, I know I'm coming in. I'm asking the question, will you be raising my rent according to the province? And which, by the way, this year, they allowed landlords to increase the rents by 2.5%. I can tell you property taxes and hydro went way over that. If they have a mortgage, obviously we know what happened there. And I'm not saying, ooh, poo, hoo, hoo, poor landlord. But what I'm saying is reality, there are costs that go up. So for those of you that think all landlords are greedy, they're not. Okay, there are means in place that say they are allowed to do certain things and you have to accept it. Okay, it's just like anything. If you don't make your car payment, the car company is allowed to come and repossess your car. You can't sit there and say you can't do that. It's their car. When it comes down to being a landlord and if the property was built, let's say in 2019, they're allowed to increase the rent. Okay, it's up to you to make that actual relationship work. And this is one of the things I think that's gotten lost over the years and I'm not an advocate of just saying, yeah, well, you know, bad landlord, bad tenant. No, I think the relationship has to be established. If people work together, you take good care of your landlord by paying your rent and landlord takes good care of you, doesn't over raise rents and make sure that the property's in good repair, then I think that that's a good way to have a relationship. It's when somebody strays from their commitment. And this is where right now, we see more of it on social media and it's amazing how this stuff's being picked up. And, you know, it's funny because my, my producers here have been really, really, you know, aggressive and do great jobs with some of our new social media stuff that we're doing. And I got to tell you, some of the comments are absolutely crazy. I think I wear a tinfoil hat half the time I get these comments back and other times it's like, you know, there, so you, you've got this polar opposite. Agree, disagree, agree, disagree. And everybody's going to have a different opinion. Everybody's going to have a different opinion about landlords. Everybody's going to have a, a different opinion to, uh, about tenants. It's what you live, right? Because the reality is, I can tell you, um, you know, we, we manage thousands of units and we've got some spectacular tenants. You know what? They take better care of the unit than we could possibly. You know, they paint it. They take care of everything. They're amazing. They pay on time. I couldn't tell you that we have better tenants when we talk about one group. And then we have the other group that come in and they just never pay the rent. And they make it impossible. And then they make, you know, their hoarders. They do this, they do that. And everybody's got a life reason or excuse. But the truth is, is what is your reality? What are you living? So when we talk about real estate, everybody has their own unique individual story. You know that? Everybody's had their own experience. Some people never want to be a landlord. Some people never want to own real estate, period. In fact, you know, I've had a lot of conversations over the last year where people say, why, why do I want to own a home? I could invest in this bond. I can invest in this fund. Heck, I'll even invest in a REIT. But I don't want to own a home. I don't want the maintenance. I don't want the upkeep. I want to, I want to live where I want to live and I want to close the door and leave and I don't want to have to worry about it. So does that mean it's bad to be a tenant? Not at all. Why is this one dream of be, having home ownership so important? It used to be, but maybe. And again, this is just my opinion. Everybody's going to have a diverse one about this, but just maybe not everybody agrees. And that's okay because it's one of those things that in real estate and in life, you don't have to agree with everybody. You've got your opinion and it's your opinion. Anyways, coming up, I've got another opinion that I'm going to value. I've got Bryn Lackey. She's going to be joining me. And by the way, follow me on Instagram, the simple investor one. We'll be right back after this.
And welcome back. As I mentioned just before the break, my next guest, she's no stranger to the show. Great to have her back here in the studio. I've got Bryn Lackey joining me. She is a realtor at Chestnut Park Realty. And by the way, if you haven't caught some of uh, Bryn's recent columns, you should at the Toronto uh, Sun. And uh, Bryn, thanks for coming back today. Thanks for having me. Always fun. Yeah, it's great having you here. And uh, lots to talk about today, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um you know, you've been uh, you've been busy. Actually, it looks like at the at the keyboard, and you know. So I I do want to talk to you a couple of things that you did uh, you did bring up because obviously, City of Toronto decided that hey we need to increase the amount of residents, so they're going with a multiplex idea, which is I would say kind of interesting. It is interesting. I don't think we expected to see it because I think we're used to council sort of talking in circles, and you know, kicking the can down the road. Yeah. So seeing them actually decisively do this was, I didn't see this coming. Yeah. So so just for everybody's edification, um, what it is, is you're allowed to build up to a fourplex on a single residential lot. Um, so, you know, you see some of these detached houses, technically uh, they could be converted or actually built as a fourplex. Bryn, you know, we know that we've got a lot of um, issues when it comes down to vacancies, you know, huge lack of tenanted properties. Do you think it's a good idea, though, all of a sudden opening up the floodgates? Because this is also going to open up potentially, you know, new landlords coming in. And, you know, sometimes that's a good and a bad thing. I mean, I think that when we're talking about landlords, I would love the discussion to say there should be some sort of, I won't say licensing, but there should be some sort of continuing ed requirement that landlords at least do a basic crash course in the Residential Tenancy Act. Yeah. The stuff you you now hear, of course, it's media usually hear the, the worst of it. But even just the anecdotes on those, you know, tenant Facebook pages, some of the stuff that landlords are pulling and it, you know, in, in a way it sounds reasonable. You know, my expenses have increased. Why can't the rent you're paying me increase yep. as well? Um, there are just some basic tenants that I think people are missing. Yep. So in a, to your point, the idea that all of a sudden we're going to have even more unleashed in the city to solve this housing crisis. Um, yeah, I mean, that should be interesting. But I do also wonder how effective this blanket permission to go up to a fourplex can be because, I mean, you have to actually build them. You know, I'm wondering <laughs> who is building them. Yeah. Um, I think as a, as a, on principle, I like it. I think that there's no way to, when you've got 70% of Toronto's land zone single family, um, as things intensify, it is unfair. There are certain pockets. If you look at Young and Eglinton, it's the, you know, they're stacked in there. And then there are other pockets two blocks away where it's single family homes and driveways and leafy boulevards. And so it does make sense to reimagine how we're using that space. But I'm not sure it's just going to suddenly pop right up. Because I think we've already seen, even just to get an apartment, the fire code, the regulations you have to jump through. I don't think it's just suddenly the avenue opening wide up. I think there's going to be a lot of hoops to jump. No, I agree. And then you remember the laneway houses that were permitted there. Um, so, you know, convert the garages. Yeah. and. You know, again, it was interesting because, um, you know, there was a couple cases where people would turn around and say, yeah, it costs $500,000 to make sure it fits all the requirements just for your garage to turn into a residence. 300000 going to the city. Yeah. You know, and this, this is the thing. So, you know, is it a cash grab? Well, typically, you know, when you take a look at anything multi-res, yes. And what I think people are also missing a little is under the multi-res designation, if it then, if, and, and they haven't really clarified it, but if it takes on the commercial designation, 
the tax rate goes up. And what most people don't realize is that when you're calculating out your property taxes, commercial entities pay a lot more in taxes than a residential, for example. Mm. So if you have a fourplex, maybe, you know, your property taxes, call it, you know, $9,000 a year could go up to $20,000 a year fairly quickly. So I think a lot of people may not understand that there is a partial cash grab, you know, aspect to this entire offering, but you know, back to back to your point, and 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 I like it, and I made it actually very apparent to a few few lenders over the years was the idea that landlords could, um, you know, definitely do with a a course, like you know, basic course, right? Uh, something that teaches them about you know um, all the necessary forms, legality, you know, leases, what you can and can't do, you know, and I think that that would behoove the financial industry mm-hmm. as well because then they know the consistency of getting rent. But, you know, with the multi, with the multiplexes, there was a comment that was made, and I, I wanted your take on this, was the fact that what about, um, what about the fact that they're now claiming the empty bedrooms? You know, like there was actually a report oh. that said that, you know, in Toronto, you know, based on the number of houses, because you've got the old, the elderly that are turning around and, you know, been living in the house for so many years and now they're caught in empty nesters. They're actually counting the number of bedrooms that are not being utilized. I think I read, I, you know, Twitter is my, my, both the blessing and the curse that, <laughs> that torches me. Um, I read some ridiculous thread of someone talking about how egregious it is that Canadians are the most, Canadian homeowners, I should say, are the most overhoused. I think that was the phrase they used. Yeah, exactly. Measuring, you know, the extra bedrooms and the fact that they have you know, three car driveway and they don't even, you know, all of those things. And I think, yeah, okay, next. That doesn't change the fact that we were now being, a lot of these comparisons are being made to cities in Europe with a substantially longer longer history than ours that go back to antiquity of people having to, you know, densify and intensify and, and live in smaller spaces. I think suddenly turning and looking at us in the way we live in North America or in the really populated regions of Canada, um, by this lens of, you know, old world Europe, like, yeah, we do seem to be behind the eight ball, but we are substantially younger. And this is a new thing we're grappling. We're grappling with population, even Toronto of the eighties, this was not an issue. You know, Toronto of the eighties, it was a bunch of little pockets, little suburbs that sort of coalesced around a downtown core. And yeah, you'll see photos on social media of Toronto, you know, the waterfront in the, in the late eighties around the time the Sky Dome was built. Yep. And you see loads of parking lots yeah. and, you know, say oh, how ridiculous that this is how we built the city, but the city built itself. Like it evolved and it was never, I don't think anyone saw it getting where we now stand in such a rapid um, trajectory. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and one of my concerns though, is that if people start looking at some form of extra tax, so, you know, if you take, if you take people's parents, you know, let's say they're in there. 70s and 80s perhaps and they've been there for their entire lives you know they raised their family there and yeah they're running with a few extra bedrooms and now you know they're they're actually being shamed like if you if you see some of the social media you know you'll hear these people saying well it's greedy greedy of the you know when you take a look at the the baby boomer generation it's oh well they're being greedy they should sell the the house they should sell it for less they you know what i mean like there's this entitlement that's coming out and it's like well tell you what they bought it, they paid for it, they maintained it, they paid the taxes for 40 years. If they want to stay there a few extra years because it makes them comfortable, I say, let them. 
and get out of their face. I mean, why aren't we mad at the government? I mean, even I read something that if you bought your house prior to 2015, the property value was doubled. Yes. So it's not just boomers. It's also yeah, it's the people who, you know, were saving their money, not spending it at bars when I was in university. You know, those people <laughs> who are getting it together early. Um, I, Yeah, all that's true. We can sit there and say the boomers are holding on, but that's like, you know, that's, that's sort of re sort of misallocating the blame. I think if we look at the government, this should not surprise us that we are underhoused for the population we currently have. And yeah, we can make it a, a boomer versus newest gen battle, but that's sort of missing the point that this is broader than just where are we hurrying? I mean, if you even think about these quote unquote boomers that are staying in their house, where should they be going? Because long-term care is terrifying, as we know through COVID. Yep. Completely underserviced, under-resourced. We don't have, because of everything being so financialized, we no longer have bungalows in pockets near their family. All of those have been torn down. More sense to have them as big, you know, McMansions. So I think that there is more to it than just, hey, how selfish you are to be staying in this home. Yeah. No, I think that's a great point. And with that point, we're going to go to a quick break. But folks, when we come back, we're going to have more with Bryn Lackey. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. Hey, by the way, if you're not following me on Instagram yet, make sure you go to the Simple Investor One. We've been having a lot of fun with it. My producers have been, you know, making sure that we get more and more content out to everybody. Um, I can tell you one of our posts uh, is up over 2.1 million views. I think that's pretty cool, you know. And um, my my guest sitting here with me in studio, Bryn Lackey. And by the way, Bryn is a realtor with Chestnut Park Realty, but she also is a author of some pretty cool articles with the Toronto Sun. And Bryn, you know what? Um, I couldn't resist because, of course, one of my producers here, uh, Omar, wanted to make sure that we went to air with something <laughs> of an article that you penned. It says, lifetime mortgages become the new normal. Um, tell me, what do you think? Well, there's sort of two prongs to that. One, there's the fact that most people buying houses today, I think they've made peace with the fact that generationally, we don't expect to pay off our mortgage. I think, you know, uh, you buy your condo, you hope that you can build enough equity to upsize to the next place and then the forever home maybe after that. And I think that generationally, I don't know a lot of people who are expecting just to be mortgage-free anytime soon, which I believe, my understanding is, is a pretty marked shift from um, the generations that sort of preceded us. I think freedom was not having mortgage payment anymore. And as far as I can tell, that's not even part of the conversation. Now you also at the same time have this housing crash that never happened because as rates shot right up in the fastest sort of rising trajectory in history, um, the way most people are holding on is that they're not failing it because banks kept the payments, static payments. I think it's 70% of variable rate mortgages are static payments. So the payment hasn't changed, but the amortization period has. So there are people who are looking at their mortgage statements now, and they have 80 years outstanding on their mortgage that was originally 25. Yeah. Um, so in that sense, like that is it. They're now in, in the UK talking about making mortgages inheritable. So I think that that is how the banks are going to keep you know, the wheels on the bus is, you know, could that be coming home to roost when renewal happens? We have a lot of people who are inside somewhere in the middle of a five-year term. Upon renewal, um, historically, you're supposed to reset to the original amortization period, less however many 
you know, years are in. If all of a sudden that person sitting with the 80-year amortization, the calculus shifts around, that payment's going to shoot up and they won't stay in their house. And if that is 70% of variable rate mortgage holders, the banks are going to have a problem, which I suspect is why we're going to see rules changing. (laughs) Suddenly they can stay lengthy. Yeah. Okay. So my spin on this, um, you know, having watched it over the years, you know, as you said, upon renewal, a lot of people will turn around and if you move lenders, you know, let's say you start off with a 25 year AM, five years down the road, you know, the idea is the renewal, it should be at 20 year, five years down the road, come to 15 years, but a lot of people will flip it back to 25, keeping their, you know, obviously their payment down. But let's talk about the real monkey in the room, because, you know, when we talk about your, your first time home buyers, they're the ones who start out hoping, as you had mentioned, uh, to achieve some equity in their property to do the next move up. Well, you know, most people, their first home, they move between three and five years. That's kind of the stat norm is that, you know, they come in, they buy a condo, realize that the condo is not big enough. They'd like a garage. They maybe like, you know, a little bit of sod to put their feet on, perhaps kids, whatever they move out, you know, job shift, everything else happens. So that's typical. So now they're going to reset the clock again, because now they've sold that property and putting a new mortgage on the other one. A lot of people, as you mentioned, they aren't going to pay off the mortgage. It's just, it's not one of those things. Now, that is completely different when you talk about the baby boomers. And this is where there's so much wealth in that generation is because they are the ones that have the paid off homes. Now, before everybody gets up in arm and say, yeah, but Todd, they paid a lot less for them. Don't forget that they they were the ones going through 20% interest rates, 18% interest rates. And, you know, like when my dad bought his first home, he was making, you know, $4,000 a year. So it wasn't like, you know, they were just like rolling in it and his, his, his interest rate was 18%. And Coke was a nickel. Like this is, yeah, it so was it's, different. Yeah. So, so the argument when people sit there and say it, but you know, the one, the one thing is, is that I know a lot of people when, and so I'll switch my hat over to the, the real estate investor guy. And you never want to pay off that mortgage because leverage is key for a rate of return on, on investment real estate. I do understand primary residence, you know, like if you could pay it down to, to close to zero, great. But that's normally your forever home. As you said, you know, they kind of get to the point where they're at that forever home. That's the one that you think they're going to stay at the longest. And that's normally the one that will have the most amount of equity built into it. Mm-hmm. And I think also. The other part of that is it's different time than the boomers had. You know, I don't think the boomers all had investment advisors. I don't think the boomers all had financialized real estate there as an avera- you know, as an available option. And so when you look at that kind of equity sitting there, I think we've all been conditioned to see the opportunities afforded by that equity. Yeah. And I think right now, particularly the last year, as things shifted so quickly, there were a lot of people who were left sort of musical chairs, no chair by having put themselves in that position. Like leverage is great for a real investor who understands what they're doing. But I think there were a lot of people who were dabbling. They had no business dabbling. Yeah. That's that speculator though. You and I talk about, yeah. you know, because people, people sat there and, and did they, oh, well, real estate's always going to go up. I can make some quick bucks. It's sort of like, no, 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 no. Well, I think very few people notice the difference between a speculator and an investor, unless they're on the wrong side of that proposal, right? Like there are a lot of people who think they're playing chess when they're playing checkers. Yeah. Well, it's a good point. And you know, for us, you know, obviously the one thing I try to educate people on is, you know, cash flow, understanding, breaking it down, but it's not, it's not about equity appreciation. And this is the danger that people get themselves into. It's like, yeah, but you know, my, my, my family member, they made a hundred thousand dollars in a year on that property. 
and they all think it just goes into their pocket. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, let's stop there for a second. You know, there is that little group called the CRA. They do like getting paid and especially if they you flip a property, mm -hmm. you know, and there's a lot of people I think that are going to find themselves with a bigger tax bill over the next year or so. Well, I think there are a lot of people who have seen what's worked for other people and they're not actually particularly engaged with the world of real estate or investment real estate or development. So they have an Uncle Frank who bought something pre-construction eight years ago. It registered. He made $200,000, you know, in capital appreciation. But, but now that's not a thing. No, but hang on for a second. So we, let's talk about Uncle Frank for a second. Yeah. Is he telling them that they made two hundred grand at the family barbecue after a few beers? Because, you know, a lot of the tales that come out of people, and I, and I always get a kick out of it because when I talk to some real estate investors, they immediately go off about how much money they've made. And it's like, hang on for a second. Classy. Yeah, no, yeah. it's like, hang on for a second. You, you tell me you made X, but what about this expense, this expense? Oh, yeah, 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 I had to pay those. And all of a sudden, it's amazing how that number shrinks. And and Uncle Frank, because everybody's got an Uncle Frank. Yeah, I kind of fish this big. Yeah. You know, it's the same story. And real estate, it draws, you know, you hear the horror stories and then you hear the sensationalized version of maybe reality. But uh, you even hear that, I, you know, and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Sellers, same thing when they're sitting there with an offer night and they are all going based on what their friend at the gym had happen. Yep. You know, it's. These are the exceptions, not the rule. And even as exceptions, they probably didn't go that way either. Yeah. You know, so I think that, you know, across the board, people just need to smarten up a bit. Well, especially, you know, in, in, in real estate is one of those things that, you know, the neighbor across the street sells their home, oh. you know, and of course you're the neighbor looking at it and saying, they got how much for that? Well, that means my house. And they automatically turn around and say, well, my house is always better. Why? Because it's mine. And it's like, well, because it's yours doesn't give you a dollar value. And so, you know, going on, uh, you know, back in when, I, when I was doing all the listings, it was like every single time I'd go on a listing appointment, somebody would say, yeah, but you sold these two houses around the corner and mine's better. Mm -hmm. And I say, did you go to the other two houses? No, I just know mine's better. Well, tell me why it's better. Yeah. Well, and even then you need that one buyer that one week without any you know context of what else is available what are the rates doing is it raining is it the real winter everyone has seasonal affective disorder you need that one buyer to go to that house and then go to your house and actually make those points of comparison but in this low inventory um market it's pretty you know big picture it's do you have parking how many bedrooms do you have what school district are you and it's opportunity driven like you might see a difference but that buyer over there is just trying to find a house yeah yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Um, so guess what? Um, Bryn's going to stay put because she is actually going to be our first guest joining us for that new section that we've got every single month and is featuring a professional realtor. That's right. So if you would like to be one of our next guests over the months coming up, you can turn around and follow us on The Simple Investor One on Instagram. DMS, tell us that you want to be featured. And uh, what I'm going to do is I am going to bring in, you know, professional agents. Obviously, you got to be full-time professional that knows what they're doing. And uh, I'm going to interview you here on the show, um, just like I'm going to do with Bryn um, when we come back. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. Um, so you know what? Here is a new section for the show. And I'm really excited to to have my first guest ever for this part. Um, so here at uh, Simply Real Estate, we're going to start featuring once a month, 
we're going to be featuring a professional agent and you can come in, you can talk to us about your listing, your area, you know, what's up and coming, you know, what you feel the vibe of the market is, what makes you unique and, uh, and a professional, by the way, I did mention full-time, right? Um, but these are the kind of things that we are going to be featuring. And, uh, I thought it would be great to open up the show a little, just to give everybody a little bit of uh, space to be able to talk about, you know, their areas. So, you know, the, the first agent I thought for sure, best one to bring on. She is a panelist here. She is a you know frequent guest, somebody that I admire. Uh, Bryn Lackey from Chestnut Park. Bryn, welcome. Thank you. Great to have you here for this section, especially the inaugural first, you know, release of this. I know I would have had my feelings so hurt. That's so nice. <laughs> and by the way, um, if you do want to take a crack at it, you got to follow me on the Simple Investor One, which I know Bryn does. So Bryn, here's the thing. Um, how will you tell our listening audience a little bit about yourself? And then we can kind of dive into what's happening in the market. What do you have on the go as far as listings? Got anything kicking around in the near future so you can let everybody know what could be coming up? So a bit about me. Um, so I'm with Chestnut Park Real Estate, which we mainly serve central Toronto. So I live in midtown Toronto and somehow as I've been in the business 12 years. My business has sort of followed where my clients go. So when I started for my peers, we were buying condos and then they were upsizing and then they're buying family houses. And now, you know, now I actually am talking about school districts, which, you know, 10 years ago, that was just an abstract concept. Um, yeah. So it's, you know, it's fun. It's a full-time thing. I do a real estate column on the side. So that's an interesting distinction because I know your feelings on part-time agents. Um, <laughs> That's okay. I'm okay if you'd write a column part-time, just not be a realtor. I write the column on Friday nights while ignoring my children. Um, yeah, so I'm trying to think what I have going on. So I have a listing right now in, in Davisville Village, which, you know, even if you had told me a month ago that things would have gotten this hot this quickly, I think there were a lot of people thinking, what was that mean guy who emailed me? He said I was high on hopium, but uh, no, hopium, it, it turned into real. We are now seeing a lot of heat not sure how long it lasts. It could just be a you know seasonal spring market, but I have a listing in Davisville Village that's the cutest little starter home that needs work in that way that you know 80s parents needed work, but you can chip away at it. It's right around the corner from an adorable school and the whole thing. So that's fun. We're having offers on that and we'll see what happens. So asking the price? I've listed just under one, two. Okay. Which interestingly, when we were having, and just to, to speak to how different the market is, even in the last few months, we were having the conversations about with my seller about where we thought it would go. And, you know, in January, February, we had one idea and then there have been some absolutely bananas sort of peak behavior sales recently. So it's anyone's guess. Okay. And so a little bit more about the house, the listing. So how many bedrooms? It's a three bedroom, one bath. Okay. Um, it's 125 foot deep lot nice. on a great street, just walkable to Bayview. It's, it's very cute. We prepped it, shined it up. It, you could move in. I think it it needs everything, but nothing immediately. Yep. Um, and it's one of those sort of forever houses that you could do a run out. You could put an addition on the back and then just stay put. Yeah. Excellent. So let's talk about what you have coming up. Um, you know, you don't have to give us addresses, you know, neighborhoods won't hurt, but, um, you know, inventory a little tough to get right now, but I know you are becoming more of a listing agent than buyer agent, which is cool. always a good thing. Yeah. So tell us, what do you, what do you think you've got coming up? And that way, you know, buyers out there looking, they know to call you first. So we're prepping a few things right now. I have, um, um, a pocket listing in, and I'm laughing because we talked about Kensington market a couple weeks ago yep. 
in one of those original lofts in Kensington Market that's very, very cool. Um, prepping a semi in Cabbage Town-ish in that sort of Cabbage Town Regent Park line. Yep. And it's a great Victorian semi that has the coolest neighborhood around it that I think is almost the last pocket of the city that's still going to have that upward swing that we haven't seen lately. Uh, and then what else do I have? Oh, and then I have a semi in Dufferin Grove coming. So there's some stuff. It's just trying to time it. I think there are a lot of people who are having to try to catch this momentum we have right now. So the timing is sort of, <laughs> it's sort of the thing to contend with right now. Yeah, of course. And of course, interest rates, you know, the fluctuation of the mindset, I'm not even going to say the interest rates right now, you know, we're on pause. Bank of Canada has actually, you know, heard a narrative from one of the economists out of one of the banks and I'm going to say, if you have, if you have any pressure that you think that you should be applying to increase interest rates again, don't do it. You know, we're already, we're already facing a recession. Okay. That's, that's reality. We're there just because you think that you're going to control the narrative with um, inflation. I think, I think people have to be a little bit smarter than that. I think you haven't waited long enough. Like, you know, so they decided not to move the rates, you know, for, for two meetings. Um, that's not enough to actually feel the overall effect of a year and a half of beating us. Mm -hmm. I think, and again, I'm going to say this while with the full acknowledgement that there are a lot of people making sort of economist like statements who have no business who, if you didn't know who Tiff Macklem was prior to last winter, you really should just pipe down. <laughs> but um, my understanding, and so all that being the caveat, my understanding is that part of what's driving the inflation right now is shelter costs. Yeah. You know, there's a re if it's if people's mortgage payments and rent being jacked up this high, which is a direct consequence of the interest rate hikes, yeah. is further driving inflation. I think we might need to parse it out a bit. Yeah. Just a thought. Just I agree. You know, it's sort of like, hi, we're making it go up, so we're going to make it go up further. Yeah, it's like I don't, and I'm sure there's more to it, but that, um, it's you know, on its face, I go, hold on, what's happening? Yeah, yeah, I don't think you're far off with that. That's for sure. Okay, so uh, back to your realtor hat for a second. Um, so, you know, one of the things obviously um, that people are facing right now is to make that decision. Do they list in this marketplace? What do you think? I mean, are we kind of going to be in more of a neutral position? I mean, we got a lot of people that had their hands in their pockets for the last six months, not willing to buy, right? So I know there is some pent up demand. You know, and I know you're not just going to say what you're going to say just to get a listing. Although, you know, don't worry, I'm going to give you, uh, I'm going to give you Bryn's uh, contact so you can. But um, what do you think? So these are conversations I have a lot lately. I think there were a lot of people who sat out over the winter, particularly, you know, I work with a lot of downsizers who sort of were going, uh-oh, did we miss it when the market just ground to a halt? And we were hearing lots of projections about how long it would take for recovery. Um, so seeing this kind of activity and this momentum again, and this is even in the over $5 million space as well. Like it's, it's pretty uniform. Um, I think there are a lot of people saying, hold on, this might be a shot because I don't, when people ask me this, I don't know how long this lasts. This could just be pent up demand. This could also just be that buyers, you know, they can wrap their heads around anything really, as long as it seems stable. And if this is the end of the rate hiking cycle and it's just going to hold, okay, this I can handle. I think there are a lot of people who thought there was going to be a massive price correction. And in certain pockets, there certainly was. But central Toronto, not really. Um, and I think once they realized that the crash was not coming, they better get back in. Whether or not there is a quieting down as the summer begins, there's historically always been quiet July and August. 
um, agents are on vacation. Yeah. Um, if that drift down happens and then doesn't wake back up in the fall, I think that's what people are preparing for. So I have a lot of clients who are saying, should we catch this now? And my answer is, I have no crystal ball. So if it matters to you and it's consequential, do it now. Yeah. And I'm going to add one point. Um, folks, if you list with Bryn and she doesn't sell it, you don't owe her anything. You know, that's the magic about being a listing agent in most cases. So unless she actually puts money out of her pocket to stage and everything else, you don't owe people commissions if you don't sell the property. And you also don't have to take an offer that you don't want. You know, that's the one thing I think, Bryn, sometimes people think, well, if I put it on the market, I have to sell it. No, you don't. If it doesn't meet your requirements, what you were hoping to get, you don't have to sell. In fact, that's what makes buyers most irate is that sellers, you know, they, especially with underpricing to drive multiple offers, if you, if they don't hit the number they want on offer night, they just won't sell. And you see a lot of angry buyers saying, hold on, there should be some rule that they have to take an offer if you, no, nope, seller drives it all. And as a listing agent, especially a full service listing agent, as I am, where there is extensive prep and I, you know, paying for staging and I have a lot of expenses. Yep. Um, we're not just in the business of buying listings, you know, and that's the interesting part in the competition. There are a lot of agents who have time right now. Yeah. So competition is pretty fierce for these deals. And um, I, I have lost listings because my number did not match the number over there of the guy that was just wanted that listing by any means necessary. If I'm spending the money I do and I invest really heavily in my listings, true. Um, I'm, I need them to be realistic. Otherwise, yeah. you know. It's not worth your while. No, and it's and it's just not a great way to do business. And I think we're coming at the tail end of a bit of a, a period where there are a lot of people doing business in a ways that we might not necessarily um, co-sign or agree with. But that's the cool part for the consumer is you just have to weed through it. So think, speaking of weeding through um, and making sure that people do reach out to you, what's the best way for them to reach you? Oh, I'm Bryn at chestnutpark.com. Gee, that was pretty easy. It's not easy. That is easy. Mm -hmm. Anyways, Bryn, listen, thanks so much for joining me for this newest section of the show. And always a pleasure having you join me. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Anyways, guys, that's uh, that's a wrap. That's how quick. I can't believe how fast an hour goes by. And uh, I do want to thank Bryn Wacky for being my first uh, featured professional uh, realtor. And don't forget, if you want to be my next one or throughout the year, you can go to the Simple Investor One on Instagram, sign up and DM us. Let us know that you want to be featured here on the show in studio. And uh, that's it. I just want to thank Aiden and Omar in the booth. They have made it simple for me this week, as they do every single week. And I do want to thank Ian Grant, our head honcho there at Head Off, and this um, always producing and making sure the simple, um, you know, simply done. Uh, show here is always done every single week and more importantly uh well, 10 years wow i can't believe it's been that long and i do want to thank everybody for tuning in because you've made us the number one real estate talk show uh and i will be back next sunday as usual i'm your host todd c slater you've been listening to simply real estate right here on news talk 1010 toronto